Okay, well, Friday, we've almost made it through the first week, so yay. Looks like we lost a few today, so either people are taking Friday off, which isn't a good day to miss the class since we got two hours worth to go through today, or there's traffic or something running, running late out there, which does happen as, happen as well. Um, I made a couple changes to the schedule up here that I put up yesterday, so um, one, one major, one, one minor, extra credit assignments still due on Monday. Uh, so you can take care of that anytime. You should if you do that. You should have gotten an email. If you've done it already, you've already gotten an email back from me. And if you've submitted the picture on D2L, you should already have a grade. I went through all of them this morning. So anybody for this class who has submitted, you should already have your 15 points in there. So if you don't, then somewhere along the line, I didn't get a submission from you. So you might want to check that if you think you've already sent me the, if you sent the email and submitted the picture that I sent back to you on D2L. Everybody should have that, if it was done, it should have that 15 points already. Uh, homework one should still be good for August 30th. That's the end of next week. Uh, quiz one, I made a very slight change. I, I made a mistake last time when I put up that it was available through August 5th or September 5th. August 5th, you missed it. You're late. Zero for everybody. Okay. No. Through September 5th. I said September 5th. Yes, it is available through September 5th, but it's 6 a.m. September 5th because everything ends at 6 a.m. So technically I make it do the 4th so you're not thinking, oh, I've got the 5th to do it. So it's available the 4th, but for, for this purpose of this class, the 4th ends at 6 a.m. on the 5th. So that was the only change there. Solar observation still the same time. Exam, I was looking at the schedule and, of course, forgetting Labor Day when I first put the date up there and that we only have a lecture today and three lectures next week that would to get me through two whole chapters, three whole chapters, wasn't going to work. So I already went ahead and extended the exam out until the Monday after. So that give us, should give us plenty of time to get through all three, all three chapters by the end of next week. Question? September 4th, is that a Tuesday? September 4th is a Wednesday. Yes. So that's why I said the quiz will be due on September 4th. Yes, it's that second is the holiday. So second is Monday, the holiday. Yeah. And fourth is the Wednesday. I, I make mistakes. Catch me, because I do make my. <laughs> I, I do make mistakes. Head, yeah. So that's the only big change on there. I just didn't see any way I was going to get through, finish chapter zero and one and two by the end of next week. I could. I'd have to talk really, really fast. And I talk fast enough as it is, I'm, I'm told. So. <laughs> Any questions? No? Nope. All right. Well, we got a beautiful picture of the day today for today. I know it's not a beautiful scenery and everything. No. It's one of the pictures that, 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 is, that really is interesting to an astronomer but doesn't do a lot for the average person. What this is, is this is a nova that occurred. A nova means a new star that appeared in the sky. And it's not a new star in that a new star was born or anything. It's a new star that all of a sudden, it's the object that all of a sudden got very bright and appeared in the sky where a star had not really been visible before. And it's not just a picture of that, but it's actually a spectrum. So when you look through a prism at a light source like the sun, it spreads it out into the component colors of light, right? Red through violet. Well, astronomers do that all the time. They have large prisms and gratings that they use to split up the colors of light into the spectrum. And we use that. In fact, we'll do a lab on it coming up in a week or two where we actually look at the spectra of some different, different elements. But that allows astronomers to tell what objects are made up of. Because you see, you don't get just a continuous spectrum. When you look at a rainbow, it's nice and smooth and varies. Here, and you won't see a lot of detail here, but you'll see a couple of dark lines up here, darker areas. 
which are we call absorption lines, areas where an element, a specific element, has absorbed out light of a very specific wavelength. The pattern of lines that you see is very specific for each element. So hydrogen gives you one set of lines, helium gives you something else, iron gives you something, copper gives you something, gold gives you something. But they're all a completely different set of lines. So by looking at that pattern of lines that we see in a spectrum like this and looking at it in much more detail and higher resolution than we're looking at in this small one, we can actually learn you know, what type of elements, what the, what the objects are composed of. Which is a big help in astronomy because with a few exceptions like the moon where we've been there and brought samples back, you know, if we want to know what, some, what a star is made up of, we can't send a spaceship out there, scoop up a sample of the star and bring it back to us to analyze it in the lab. The only thing we can study is its light. So we have to use that light and that's how we know what things like the sun are made up of, what uh, the very outer planets are. We've been out there to study some, study them, but really can't get samples to bring back here to Earth. And what other stars and galaxies are made up of. So a spectrum like this, while it's not a beautiful picture like some of the other things, you know, like our Monday video and all of that kind of stuff where we had some really nice pictures, wasn't quite as nice as that. But it does have a lot of important information and we will come back to this in a couple of chapters and be talking about the idea of a spectrum and how we, how we use this. But this is a new star that appeared about two, two to three weeks ago. So what a nova is, nova means new star. And you may have heard of supernova, right? Supernova is a completely different thing. Supernova and a nova are completely different. A nova and we will talk about this coming up in a couple of another month or so when we get to talk to talk about talking about stars. But a nova is an explosion on the surface of a I'm going to call it a dead star. So what happens when a star dies, there's a very compact core left behind and it's essentially dead. It's just sitting there. It's not active like the sun is right, right now, you know, with sunspots and solar flares and all sorts of things. It's pretty much a dead compact object about the size of the Earth. But sometimes if it collects enough material on its surface, then it can all of a sudden come to life and start nuclear reactions, start burning that material right on the surface of the star and cause an explosion and that's what we see as a nova. It doesn't destroy the star as a supernova does. Now a supernova, and again we'll talk about those later in the class, completely tears the star apart. So a nova can actually occur again and again and again. So this star may have undergone a nova explosion uh, 50 years ago, 100 years ago, a couple hundred years ago. And it may do it again in another couple hundred years or so. So this will occur again and again. A supernova, on the other hand, is an explosion within the entire star. It's a star tearing itself apart. And again, when we get towards the end of our section on stars, probably towards October, we'll be looking at, looking at those in more detail. After a supernova explosion, it depends on how much material is left, yes. If there's a certain amount of material left, if there's enough material left, it will crush down to a black hole. Again, one of our, late, one of our later units that we will, talk, we will talk about. But it depends on how much matter was there. Was there. The Chandra Shekhar limit? Chandra Shekhar limit it is not for a black hole. That's for actually a white dwarf star. Yeah. 
There's a white dwarf star which has a certain limiting mass. And again, I'll go through that in a little bit more detail later on. I don't want to go through all that right now. But yeah, that is, that does, we will, will come up and I'll mention, don't know if I give it by name all the time, but yeah, I will go through that. What do you mean, life, uh, average life recurrence? Uh, How long we'll see it as a? Yeah, as long as the Relatively short time. Uh, supernova even will last months to, months to, not even up to a year typically. They fade very, they, they peak, get really bright, and they fade very quickly over the periods of weeks to months. So this one's fading very quickly already. So essentially it's a burst of material coming out, a big burst of light, and then it just dies down. So weeks, maybe a month. Maybe a few months for a supernova explosion, which is much, much brighter. How far can supernova material go on for? Can they go on for light years before all that energy dissipates? Oh, yeah, it goes on. It can. It can. So, yeah, the supernova could hit Earth if we were on the right side. Eventually, the shock wave would hit, would hit Earth, and possibly that's what formed the solar system in the first place. It could be a shock wave from a supernova that started compacting us. So yeah, they can go out. They go out very, very far distances. There's nothing in space to stop it. Anything else? It's good. All right. Well, let's go on back to chapter zero we were looking at then, which is down here, and see where we get, and then. We'll stop somewhere around um, 9.50 to 10. I tend, I tend to try to get you out at 9.50 because I don't know who has other classes to run to on Monday or Wednesday. I might run a little longer today just because I know you've got no place else to go because you're, you're stuck here with me for another hour. So if I'm running a little bit longer just to try to finish the end of a topic, I may do that. But typically on Monday and Wednesday, I try to make sure I get you out on time. But we were looking here last time. We were looking, we we're going to start talking about the, some of the Earth's motions. And we looked at the daily motion. This is the annual motion of the Earth around the Sun. So the Earth was, here's the Sun, Earth moving around that. And what we were looking at last time was how we see different sets of constellations at different times of year. Some constellations are always visible. Things like Ursa Major, which contains the Big Dipper. We can see that any time of, any time of year. You can see it in the summer, you can see it in the winter. Other constellations, such as right now we're coming towards September, you know, Pisces would be a very easy constellation to be able to see. But if I want to try to see Virgo, it's going to be hard. It's still there. It didn't go any place. It's just right, right, the sun is right in the way. The sun is in that constellation, meaning we need to block out the sun in order to see it. So nice total solar eclipse. Great. We get to see, we get to see Virgo. We'd get to see it right now. Other than that, barring, the so, barring a solar eclipse, there's no way we can see those constel that constellation right now. Give it a few months, it will, slowly come, it will slowly start to come back into the sky and we'll slowly start to be able to see them again. But those constellations, those ones that the sun appears to move through over the course of the year, you recognize the names, those are the constellations of the zodiac. I'm sorry? No, that's the western, our zodiac. So that those are the constellations that the sun appears to go through. And I know one person mentioned after class last time that there's not just 12, there's actually 13, right? If you may have heard, there's another constellation. Uh, actually, right over here between Scorpio and Sagittarius, 
If you're Scorpio, the sun spends very, very little time in Scorpio. Most of that constellation is way below the path of the sun. And there's another constellation in there, uh, Ophiuchus, that the sun actually spends more time in than the couple other constellations around it. And we'll actually do a lab uh, later in the semester that has you map out the sun, the path of the sun over the course of the year and see when it enters and when it leaves each of the constellations. So those are the constellations of the zodiac are just the ones. They're not special. They're not unusually bright, typically. Most of them are very faint. But they're special because they're the ones that the sun happens to pass through over the course of the year. So they're very important uh, astronomically and historically for that reason. The name of that path, that e- the ecliptic, the name that's mentioned there, is just the, just the path that the sun takes. So the sun's path around, the sun's apparent path around the earth is what we call the ecliptic. All right, let's see. So seasons, do I have this and is it going to work for me today? I got to get batteries on that. Okay. All right, seasons. Again, chapter zero is going through a lot of things, just giving you a real brief overview of a lot of different things in terms of the motions. The ecliptic that we just meant, meant it's the path, apparent path of the sun. The sun really isn't the thing doing the moving. It's the Earth doing the moving, so it's really the, the Earth's path around the sun. And it's tilted. It's tilted because the Earth's axis is tilted. You've heard that, right? We're tilted 23 and a half degrees relative to the equator. So instead of the Earth orbiting around the sun straight up and down, let's not use orange. That doesn't work too good. Let's try again. Instead of the Earth orbiting around the sun with its axis straight up and down, how it rotates, the Earth is actually tilted at about 23 and a half degrees. So still rotating on its axis, still spinning on there once a day, but it's tilted. That means that it's sometimes we're tilted towards the sun. Sometimes we're tilted away from the sun a little bit. And that is what causes That tilt is what is causing the seasons. And that's what the diagram is trying to show you here. That there are times when in the summer solstice, summer solstice would be the first day of summer. The northern hemisphere is tilted towards the sun. And therefore, that's when we have our summer. Why do we have that summer? For two reasons. Two things happen. When we're, tilted, when we're tilted towards the sun. First of all, the diagram up here is trying to show you that at summertime, that sunlight, the amount of sunlight is about the same over the course of the year. But when we're tilted towards the sun, it's concentrated. So we're pushing ourselves towards the sun. So that same amount of sunlight is in this little tiny patch here. If you put a lot of energy in a smaller area, things warm up. In the winter, Same amount of energy coming, approximately at least. But now we're spreading that energy over two or three times as much of the Earth's surface. Don't have the same amount of energy, but we're trying to heat up a lot more of the Earth's surface. It's not going to get as hot. So a big reason for the seasons is that the sunlight is very direct in the summer. You've noticed that, right? You walk out in the summer, you've got the sun way up there. It's beating right down on you. Energy's concentrated. You go out in the winter, you don't find the sun way up there in the sky, right? Even at noontime, it's really, really low in the sky. The energy is more spread out. So that's one thing that causes the seasons. The other 
is the length of the day changes, right? Get familiar with that, right? It's nice and light. You get here at, you know, 7 in the morning, right? Yeah. But if you get up early, if you're up at 7 in the morning, it's light now, right? Is it going to be in a couple months? Ignore the time change because that'll switch us off again. But, you know, come to December and January, come take a, take a, take a class. You know, it be dark at 9 o'clock. We still be just getting light at 9 o'clock when a class is starting here. So that's the other thing is that you've got the sun up for maybe 14, 15 hours in the summer. It's got a lot more time to heat things up. Leave that sun lap on a longer time. Things are going to heat up more. Winter time, sun rises late, sets early. You've got a very short day. Nine hours, eight hours, depending on how far north you go. Sun does not have as much time to heat up, heat up the light. So it's a combination of those two things that gives us the seasons. The combination of how long the day is and the angle of the sunlight. Now, the, the typical names for the seasons are given above. I mentioned the summer solstice. That's when the sun is highest in the sky. So the northernmost point of the sun that it ever reaches. The winter solstice, coming up in a few months, is going to be when the sun reaches its lowest points. And the equinoxes, vernal for spring and autumnal for autumn, winter, autumn, autumn, fall, are when it exactly is on the equator. So when it's sort of right in, right it's in between, in between point. Now one of, the, one of the misconceptions that you get often is that the sun, uh, that the seasons are caused by the Earth being closer and further away from the sun. The Earth's orbit is elliptical, meaning that sometimes we are closer to the sun and sometimes we're furthest away. But we're actually closest to the sun beginning of January and we're furthest away around the beginning of July. So it doesn't quite work with the seasons, right? Because we're, we're closest to the sun when it's the coldest, and we're furthest away when it's the hottest. So that actually serves to kind of moderate our seasons in the northern hemisphere a little bit, because we're, we are closer to the sun. We are getting a little bit more energy, but it's in January. So it has nothing to do with the cause of the seasons, us being closer or further away. But it has to do, it only has to do with the tilt of the Earth's axis. The more tilted this happened to be, if we were tilted more and more, the seasons would get more and more extreme. We'll see that when we do our uh, skim through the solar system. Uh, Uranus, one of the outer planets, is tilted almost directly towards the sun. Has very extreme seasons. You, know, you imagine that, you've got, you know, if it was on Earth, if the Earth was tilted towards the sun, you'd have several months of pointing right at the sun. You'd have several months of complete darkness. So you'd have months where you'd have sunlight 24 hours a day. You'd have another, another months where you'd have no sunlight. So nice where we are, we're sort, of, we're sort of in between. If you were not tilted at all, you'd get absolutely no seasons. Be about the same all year round. Doesn't mean the entire Earth would be the same, but at any given latitude, you'd still get, the, you'd get about the same uh, temperatures. So we wouldn't have four seasons here. You'd have one season. It would just be like spring or fall all year round. All right, let's see. Tropical year, I believe I come back to that in a second. Tropical year is one of our measures of a year. We have two measures of the day we've already done, right? We had a sidereal day and a solar day. Uh, there's different measures of a year. There's a solar year and there's a tropical year. So tropical year is measured relative as, as solar year is what we're using, one, one orbit around the sun. That's what we use as a year. Tropical year is 
pretty much relative to the stars from one, from one vernal equinox and the sun going to the vernal equinox to coming back there again. So there's going to be two measures of the year and they vary as well just like the measures of the day vary. And I'll come back in that and I mention that again in, a, in another slide here. But I want to explain why first what's coming up and that is one, one of the other motions of the Earth, we have its rotation on its axis, we have its revolution around the Sun, but not only is it rotating like this, it's also precessing. Now if you ever watched a top spin, right? top spins really, really fast, but it also kind of has a slow wobble around, wobbles around real slow. So it's spinning really, really quick like this, but it also gets that slow. So its axis is pointing in one spot and it sort of goes in the shape of a cone. So if you've ever watched an ax, uh, a top spin, it does something like that. Well, the Earth acts a lot like that. The gravity of the Sun, the gravity of the Moon, all tugging on the Earth, cause it to precess, cause its position, the direction in space that our pole is pointing is constantly changing. Now, it's a very slow, right? Top may be spinning a couple times, many times a second, and the precession might take several seconds, right? It might take it several seconds to actually make this very slow wobble. The Earth is the same. It takes us 23 hours and 56 minutes to spin once on our axis. It takes 26,000 years for it to precess once. Pretty long time. So you're not, you're not going to live through, unless you've got a real long lifespan ahead of you, you're not going to live through one cycle of precession. But that changes where the Earth's pole is pointing. And right now, the Earth's pole happens to be, conveniently for us, pointing towards a star. Doesn't have to be. There's lots of blank areas out there on the sky. The Earth's pole could be pointing randomly someplace. But right now, well, let's see. There's one, there's 1,000, there's 2,000. We're a little bit past the year 2,000 here. So we're right in here, and that means that's where the Earth's pole is pointing, very close to Polaris, the pole star. There's nothing special about Polaris except that it just happens to be in the right spot at the right time. It's not the brightest star in the sky. If you've ever gone out and tried to look for it, it's reasonably bright. You can see it pretty well, but it's not, one, it's not the brightest star in the sky by far. It just happens to be in that right location that is exactly at the pole of the Earth. It won't be there thousands of years from now. If you wait, this is showing where it would be, so if you wait, you know, go, here's 8,000 AD, 6,000 years from now, Polaris will be way away from the pole, and the pole of the Earth's axis will not be really near any star. 8,000, 9,000, there won't be a pole star. Not as big of a deal for us nowadays, and probably will be even less of a big deal of us for thousands of years from now. But years ago, that was very important. Polaris was used as a big aid in the navigation. You could find a fixed point where you could, where you could actually locate where north was. It doesn't work, or does it wouldn't, won't necessarily work. You know, it wouldn't work thousands and thousands of years ago. Boy, there's a big long gap up here where there's just about nothing. There are other times where we pass close to another star. So whether there's a pole star or not just happens to depend on when you happen to be living. We're fortunate right now that we're close to Polaris that there is a North Pole star to help easily identify the North Pole in the sky. We're actually getting closest to it in about, about another hundred years we'll actually get to its closest. So Polaris is getting closer and closer to exactly being at the pole. It'll never quite be there 
but it will get closer and closer and then it will start moving further and further away again as the Earth's axis and the Earth's positioning slowly changes. But it's very slow. So 26,000 years from now, if you've got a real long lifespan, you come back in 26,000 years from now, sky will look exactly like it does right now. You come back in 13,000 years, everything's all mixed up. What was visible in the summer is now in the winter. What was visible in the winter is now visible in the summer. Everything will be switched around. So if you're used to right now, if you go out and look for Orion, you know, go out in January, right? 13,000 years from now, don't look for it in January. It won't be visible, but go out in July and you'll be able to see it. So that's what the, the Earth's axis is slowly doing. It's slowly changing the positions of the, that we see in the sky, the positions of those constellations. Everything all at once. And with a very, very long time frame. And it's just because it's wobbling. It's wobbling and very, very much like a top just spinning, in this case, instead of spinning on something, spinning out in space. So I sort of mentioned the years already. There is a sidereal year. Relative to the fixed stars, the Earth orbits around the Sun once, about, about 365 and a quarter days. Right? That's why we have all these leap years and things, because it just doesn't quite match up perfectly. The tropical year and the sidereal year are quite different because of precession. Precession is the difference between the two. Like there was a difference between the solar and sidereal day because the Earth was moving around the Sun while it was spinning on its axis, as the Earth moves around the Sun, it's also precessing. A very small amount. So it's not a big difference between these two because it only processes in one year one twenty-six thousandth of the way around it's going to go in total. But it's a little bit and it does make for a difference between the years that is noticeable over a long period of time. So when we actually, I mentioned we do a lab uh, marking the constellations, when the sun enters and leaves each constellation. If you do, them, do that for this year, you find out that all the constellations of the zodiac are one off from about one off from what's printed in the newspapers. Right? It says Aries starts such and such a date and ends such and such a date. Well, guess what? It's a, it's a month off. So if you actually look up what, what's, where the sun was the day you were born, it doesn't match typically with that. Sometimes if you're right at one end, you might still be the same zodiacal constellation. Many times it's actually off by, <coughs> most of the time it's off by one. That's all due to the precession of the Earth's axis slowly changing that system. It'll come back around again. Why is it off by a month? Well, when the, when the, when the horoscopes and all that was developed, you know, 1,000, 1,500 years ago, it was right. It all matched up. But in that thousands, in that thousand plus years, everything slowly processed a little bit. And at this point, we're one constellation off. 1,000 years, 1,500 years from now, will be two constellations off. Wait that 13,000 years, everything's completely messed up. You're half off. So you're this constellation, no, you're six, constel you're six, you're six zodi zodiacal signs away. So that's what's happening there. And again, I do have a lab that you'll work on later on, later on in the semester that we do that actually maps the path of the sun through the sky. So this is where I kind of mentioned that 13,000 years from now, the seasons don't change. July and August are still when it's going to be the hottest. But Orion will now be up in the summertime. So come back in 13,000 years. 
and you'll be able to see Orion in the summer. You don't have to get up when it's bitterly cold to go see, the, go see that constellation. It'll actually be nicely visible in the summer sky. The ones that you see in the summer, now would, then would be in the winter. Would the constellations not be there? Say millions of years, they wouldn't be exactly <sighs> They will change slightly as well. There are, there are motions to the stars. The stars do move very, very slowly. And they will change over thousands and millions of years. So some of the actual patterns will change as well. That's what you're yeah, getting. Yeah. yeah. The patterns will slightly change. In fact, the Big Dipper, three, four, five, six, seven. Eh, not a bad, not too bad. Not eh, something like that. The Big Dipper is something like this. Most of these stars, actually, these middle ones are all moving together through space. They might be part of a cluster. They're all about the same. But these two on the end are not. So if you could come back you know, 20,000 years from now, this dipper is going to get more and more stretched out of shape and won't look like a dipper like it does anymore. You won't see it next week. You won't see it next month. You won't see it 10 years from now or 100 years from now. But if you could come back in tens of thousands, 100,000 years, the pattern will actually change. That applies to other constellations too. The constellations are not really associated with all associated together. They're not one big, you know, fixed grouping of stars. There are a bunch of stars that just happen to appear in the same direction in the sky. So yes, those patterns would change would change as well. And some of those stars may disappear too. Some of them will go through their lives. Then we're talking more than just a few million years though for most of them. All right. On to the moon. So what does the moon do? We've looked at the Earth's motions. Let's look at the moon's motions. We have a cycle of phases, which is the month that we use, right? We talk about one month. Month comes from moon. So one month is one lunar cycle, essentially. And that's about 29 and a half days. That is how long it takes the moon to go through its entire cycle of phases. Just a couple days ago, we were at the full moon phase. So we were here. And now as we go further through the cycle, the moon, is, parts of it are starting to disappear and fade. And if we come back in the beginning of next week, that was Monday, Monday, Tuesday. If we come back, you know, the beginning of next week, we'll only see about a quarter, about half the moon illuminated. If we come back another week after that, the moon's gone. You can look for it. You can look for it in the morning. You can look for it in the evening. You're not going to see anything. It's gone. That's new moon. It's still there. Moon didn't go anyplace. It's just in the same general direction as the sun. So the whole part of it that's illuminated, half of it's still lit. The half of it that's illuminated is pointing away from us, so we can't see anything. We're not going to see the dark part, darker part of the moon. And then another week after that, you'll after, shortly after that, you'll start to see a thin crescent phase appear in the evening, getting larger and larger again until about a month after. The last, full, the last full moon, which is around the 20th, we see the, next full, we see the next full moon. That's the phases of the moon that we see. That is what we call the synodic month, or the period of the month relative to the sun. So that's how the moon is re really moving relative to the sun. That's not how long it takes the moon to orbit around the Earth once. Okay? It actually takes the Earth a little bit less time. The moon took a little bit less time to move around, to orbit around the Earth once. And that's because 
we're having that same issue with motion that we had the Earth spinning on its axis and moving around the Sun at the same time. Well, while the Moon is orbiting around the Earth in a month, how far along, how far around in its orbit has the Earth and the Moon gone around the Sun? About a twelfth of the way, one month's worth. So we've made a big move around the Sun. So when we start out here, by the time that moon comes back to the next full moon, the Earth and the moon system isn't here anymore. It's now zipped up one twelfth of the way in its orbit around the sun. So it only takes it about 27 days to orbit around the Earth once. But the cycle of phases, for the same reasons we talked about when we talked about the moon, or the Earth, the Earth orbiting around, orbiting, and there was the different, two different days, there will be two different months. There is a synodic month. That's what we see. That's the cycle of phases that we see. There is also a sidereal month that is a little bit shorter, about two days, a little more than two days shorter. That's how long it really takes the moon to orbit around the Earth once. It's just that you've got everything moving at once. You've got the Earth spinning. You've got the moon moving around the Earth. You've got the Earth and the moon moving around the sun. You've got all of those going on at the same time. So things that we see, like the phases, depend on all of those motions at once, not just a single one of them. If we didn't have, if the Earth and the Moon were just sitting there all by themselves, then we would have only one month. There would not be two different phases. If there was no Sun there involved, then you wouldn't see very many phases though, would you? Didn't have a Sun there to illuminate. You got somebody with a giant flashlight holding it at the Moon so it's still lit. So that's what we'll see is the different sets of, that's why we'll see the different sets of phases and the timing of them. The phases are due to how much of the sun can we see, how much of the moon can we see at a given time. We always see half of it. We always see half the moon. We always see the same half of the moon. It's always the same side of the moon facing towards the earth. Whether it's light or dark, it's that same side. But depending on where we are, where that moon is in its orbit, right? Right down here, start with the full moon. Here's the Sun, here's the Earth, here's the Moon. Half the Moon is illuminated, and that happens to be the half that's facing the Earth. So we see a full Moon. Two weeks later, Moon is moved around to here. Half of the Moon is still illuminated, right? New Moon. Half of it's still illuminated, but that's now the half that's pointing away from the Earth. So we see nothing. We don't see the Moon. It's all a matter, and in between, it's just all a matter of those different, of the different parts that we see it, as we see little different pieces of the moon illuminated as it slowly makes its way around the Earth. And you can watch this very easily from day to day. If you start out um, in a couple weeks, if you look out in the evening, let's see, this was the 20th, so around the fourth, around the fourth or so, there'll be a new moon. And if you look in the evening, a couple days after that, you'll see a very thin crescent. And you can watch it. Come back two, three days later. You'll notice how much thicker it's gotten just in a couple days. It changes very significantly in just a couple days. It only takes it a week to go from being half illuminated to being fully illuminated. So you can actually notice that kind of change pretty much from, from day to day. All right, I'm going to come back. I'm not going to do that one right now. I'll do that with eclipses here in a second. So let's look at eclipses. So we have the motions of the moons and the phases. The big thing about the moon is the eclipses. Now eclipses, 
We'll do lunar eclipses first, then I'll talk about solar eclipses. During a lunar eclipse, the Earth happens to pass between the Sun and the Moon. Anything out in space, right? everything casts a shadow. Right? You've got a light source, you cast a shadow. We're all casting shadows from this light source right now. Well, the Earth casts a shadow as well. So the Earth casts a shadow. It's a big sphere out here in space, so it casts a big cone out behind it. And sometimes, not always, but sometimes the moon will pass through that shadow. Doesn't always. This is two-dimensional view. Under this two-dimensional view, guess what? You get an eclipse every single month. Right? If you look at things two-dimensionally, because how is the moon going to avoid passing through the Earth's shadow? Right? It could stop here, jump over, and come back around. Okay? Can't do something like that. But in reality, this is actually three-dimensional. And although we draw things like the Earth and the moon and the sun all on a flat piece of paper because it's convenient, Everything's really tilted a little bit. So when you look at it three-dimensionally, the orbit of the moon is not flat in this piece of paper, but comes a little bit out on one side and goes a little bit in on the other. About five degrees. Not a whole lot. Not a big tilt. You know, Five degrees, just a little bit. But enough that most of the time when the moon comes around, it goes well above the Earth's shadow or well below it and doesn't actually pass through it. So most months, we don't get a lunar eclipse. It doesn't occur. We'll get about, on the Earth, you get about one a year. Not circular, but not tilted at all, yes. You would get an eclipse every single month. Every single month you would have a lunar eclipse. And a solar eclipse. Not necessarily visible for us, but somewhere on the Earth you would be able to see it. Because in order to see the lunar eclipse, it also has to occur, the moon has to be passing through this shadow, while it's nighttime, right? This occurs during the day, you're out of luck. And that's what happens a lot of the time anyway, even as it is now. But yeah, if it was not tilted at all, yes, you would get, you would get a so- solar and a lunar eclipse every single month. Is it possible to get two full moons at one uh, regular calendar month? Yes, you can. It's 29 and a half days between them. So as long as it's not February, February you can never have two full moons. Because even in a leap year, February's got 29 days, so you can't have 29 and, a half, and you have 29 and a half days. So it can't quite make it. You could just miss it. But any other month, you can have two, two, uh, two full moons in the same month. Sometimes called a blue moon, sort of the new definition of a blue moon. It used to mean something. A blue moon used to mean something else. It used to be the third full moon in a, of four in a season. Typical season has three. Some seasons end up occasionally, every couple of years, have four. So that was the original definition of a blue moon. Now we use it as uh, the second full moon in a calendar month, which can occur any month except for, except for February and occurs every couple of years. So you actually get one every few years. Yes, because somebody was just asking me about it on my, one of my virtual classes discussions, and it's July of 2015. Although technically, if you go by the old definition, this one in uh, last week, or this earlier this week, was the blue moon under the seasonal definition. Doesn't mean the moon looks blue or anything, it's just a, a naming for the naming convention for the moon. But, but yeah, the next actual blue moon would be 2000 in July of 2015. So we got another almost two years to wait. All right, okay. Now eclipses, we can have a couple different types of eclipses. This is a lunar eclipse. A lunar eclipse can be either partial, 
the moon might pass partially through the shadow and part of it, part of it might be blocked out. So you'd see part of the moon would disappear, part would still be illuminated. It can be total when the entire moon passes through the Earth's shadow. Total lunar eclipse is cool to see. You watch the moon, it slowly is disappearing over the course of an hour, a couple hour or two. Slowly disappears. Get a bite taken out of it, bigger and bigger. And then when it moves fully into the Earth's shadow, it turns this deep red color. So the moon doesn't actually disappear during a lunar eclipse the way as the sun does during a solar eclipse. And that's because the Earth is what's casting the shadow. And the Earth does not have a nice, solid, sharp edge to it. Right? We've got a nice, solid surface to the Earth. Water, you know, water, uh, land, all pretty good at blocking out the sunlight. Problem is we've also got an atmosphere way around it. Okay? Atmosphere will bend the light. So when we try to have a lunar eclipse, here's the Earth, this little atmosphere around it, and here's our moon behind us. Some of that sunlight that would otherwise miss gets bent through the Earth's atmosphere. So the Earth's atmosphere bends it, acts like a lens, and bends some of that light to the moon and causes it to glow red. Why red? Red light is much easier to be bent that little bit to be able to be visible. The blue light gets scattered all over the place. The light that actually makes it through is redder and gives a red, the moon this really deep red, blood red color during a total lunar eclipse. You won't see that during the other ones. You pretty much have to have the moon completely covered to really be able to see that because you'll still see the brightness of the rest of the moon otherwise. Not as much. If it's, pretty, if it's mostly covered, yeah. It's a little different than a solar eclipse, you do, but you have to be pretty much completely covered. If just part of it, half of it's covered, you won't really notice it because there's such a distinct difference. Your eyes won't pick it up. It'll be there. That light is still getting there, but you have this real bright part of the moon, and you have this really dark part of the moon. Your eyes are focused to the bright part. You won't be able to see the little faint paint portion relative to it. It's still there. You just won't be able to see it. Now, how about a solar eclipse? Solar eclipse occurs when the moon passes between the Earth and the sun. So, Earth passes between the sun and the moon. Lunar eclipse. Moon passes between the Earth and the sun. You get a solar eclipse. And a solar eclipse is similar. Now, here we get a nice sharp shadow. Moon has no atmosphere. So, a nice sharp shadow. But the moon's a lot smaller than the Earth. So. Here's the Earth, there's the moon to scale, and you pass a little tiny shadow down here that might just barely touch the Earth. So if you're not in this very dark central shadow, that's called the umbra, U-M-B-R-A, the umbra of the shadow, the darkest portion of the shadow. If you're not there, you won't see the moon, complete, the moon completely block out the sun. Might see it partially do it. If you're in this wider area, in the penumbra, P-E-N-U-M-B-R-A, this outer portion, you'll be able to see part of the sun blocked out. But unless you're actually in this total dark area, which is relatively small, you know, a few miles across, you know, 10, 10 miles or so across, depending at its thickest, you know, that's, unless you're there, you're not going to be able to see the solar eclipse. If you're outside of that at all, any part of that shadow, the moon misses the sun completely and you see nothing. So if this is the eclipse, 
And let's see, it's coming over, looks like it's coming over like Mexico, right through Central America right there. If you're down in South America, you're on the right side of the Earth to be able to see the eclipse, but you're too far south. You're going to see absolutely nothing. Northern U.S. and Canada, same situation. You're way too far north to be able to see anything. So a solar eclipse you can see only if you're in the right location. A lunar eclipse, as long as it's dark, you can see it. So lunar eclipses are much more likely to be able to be seen. Next lunar eclipse, I believe, is next year. I don't remember the exact date. I believe there's one in 2014 that is a nicely visible one. I actually have a lab for that. I'm not sure if I'm doing that one in this class or not. A full next full one. I'm not. I didn't count the partial ones, but the lunar ones. Most of the lunar most of the lunar eclipses are full. There's only a few partial. Most of them tend to be full because the Earth's shadows so much bigger than the than the other. Next solar eclipse visible around here is 2017. I believe it's August of 2017. <coughs> that will be partial from this location. You. You've got to go further south in that case. I think the track goes from northern, it goes through like Washington State and cuts across the middle of the, I'm get, doing this from memory, I think I have it on a future slide coming up here. Goes to about St. Louis and goes out, through, goes out to the Atlantic through the Carolinas or Georgia. So, so further, further south, further west, you've got to get to the right, you've got to get to that narrow track of land. From here you'd be able to see a partial eclipse. And you'd probably be able to see the, moon, the sun 60 or so percent blocked. I'd have to look up the numbers. I'm guessing that based on where I'm seeing it. So it would be more than half the sun would be blocked out. But it won't be the fabulous darkness in the middle of the day. You've got to block out the entire sun in order to see that. It only takes a thin bit, a little bit of the sun to really give you that much, that much light. There's an even closer one in 2024. But that goes up through the northern part of Pennsylvania, southern New York. So you still got to move, got to go a little bit further north to be able to, to see that one. April, April 8th? April of 2024 for sure. So when we look at eclipses, we said there were two different types of lunar eclipses. There were partial and total. So we have partial and total solar eclipses as well. Partial just means the moon is covering part of the sun and there's a bite taken out of it. If you're anywhere in this lighter area out here, you would see a partial eclipse. The further you are away from the center, the less of the sun is going to be covered. So if you're way out at the very edge here, you're going to see a little tiny tick taken out of the sun. The closer you get to that central portion, more and more. If you actually look, that one I mentioned in 2024, you're going to actually see about 90% of the sun blocked. Only about 10% of the sun will be visible at the height of the eclipse. But it still won't get, it'll get a little bit darker, but it won't get dark like nighttime. You have to really block out the entire sun in order to get the total solar eclipse, in order to get that effect. The other thing you can get, and you don't get this with a lunar eclipse, is that you can get what's called an annular eclipse. Annular meaning ring. And that happens when the moon passes directly in front of the sun, but doesn't quite block all of it out. It doesn't quite block everything. So what happens is that the moon, remember I told you the Earth is sometimes closer to the sun, sometimes further away? Well, the moon is sometimes closer to the Earth, sometimes further away from the Earth. And what happens when, to the apparent sizes of things when they get closer or further away? 
It'll get bigger or smaller, right? So if something gets, if the moon is a little bit further away from us and the sun is a little bit closer, sun's going to look a little bit bigger than the moon in the sky and it's not quite going to be able to cover, it's not going to quite be able to be covered. So the moon can line up perfectly and you get the moon there but you have this whole ring of sun around it. So that's a different eclipse, that's a different type of eclipse that you can get when the moon is at its furthest away from the earth and is, of course, a new moon when you can actually get an, when you can get an eclipse. So you can also you can get three different types of eclipses here, a partial, a total, or an annular eclipse. Annular you can only see in a solar eclipse. I don't have that one. I'd have to check on that one. That one I do not know. Let me see. I don't think it says... Well, I, mean, I, have, I have a chart of the eclipses coming up, so I'll give, I'll give you that. I don't know if that shows the anything annular, though, which is annular, but I'll check. So, this is most of what I've, I've gone over some of this already. The solar eclipse, a partial eclipse, says, means that we blocked out just part of the sun. If the entire sun is blocked out, I mean the entire sun, the entire sur what we see is the surface of the sun is blocked out, that's a total eclipse. An annular is when the moon is just too far away for there to possibly be a total eclipse. The moon is just too small. You can't block out, you, can't, you cannot block out the sun. This is not an annular eclipse, this is actually a total eclipse, the image shown here. And this is a total eclipse, but it's blocking out the sun, you're blocking out the surface of the sun, but much like the earth, the sun has an atmosphere around it as well. So we're seeing in this case, the atmosphere of the sun. That's always there. You can't normally see it because you've got this incredibly bright surface of the sun and you've got this very faint atmosphere. Pretty bright once you get things blocked out, but not, not, not that, but not bright compared to the regular surface of the sun. The regular sun, when it's out, blocks out any chance of seeing that atmosphere. The only time you can study it is during an eclipse. So either during a regular eclipse or astronomers have instrumentation that they can use to make an artificial eclipse and block out the rest of the sun and be able to study this outer atmosphere of the sun which is called the corona during either during an eclipse or during using an, making an artificial eclipse. So three types of eclipses here, partial, total, or annular. The only time you'll ever see the corona as you see in this image is when it's a total eclipse. Annular eclipse won't block out. Anytime you can see any portion of the sun, that will overwhelm the brightness of the corona. You will not be able to see it. Up. Where are we looking? Up here? Out here? Are these? These jets? Or? Uh, a little bit further to the, up, to the left. These? The yeah, big. The, those, those big ships right there. Uh, that's just the, it's just the corona. The atmosphere is not very uniform in shape. It varies a lot depending on the activity of the sun. When the sun is very quiet, you get a nice spherical atmosphere. When the sun is very active, it starts to distort it. If we were looking at it right now, you'd see you'd see it, you'd see, probably see it even more distorted than this because we're at a really height of activity right now. And you were saying those jets were they eruptions from the sun? The jets can those jets those are those are just no those are just part of that. There are jets that you could see as eruptions, but they're basically well down inside the. You wouldn't see them under the moon here. We'll come back. Well, I know you've gone over them, but we'll come back to them again when we get to a later chapter on the sun. Yeah. 
but I'll go over those specifically. But no, you're not, you're not seeing those. You're not seeing things like prominences or flares in this, in this image. Let me see. I think I'm just about, where am I? I got two more on this, so let me finish these up and then we'll take a break and uh, come back for lab. That way we finished everything here. And what we have is why do we, go, why do we not get eclipses every month? And that's what the diagram here is trying to show you. I tried to explain that things are all tilted a little bit. So you've got the Earth and you've got the Earth orbiting around the Sun. Well, you know what? That's two things. I can draw that very nicely on a piece of paper. It works perfectly. But when I try to draw the orbit of a third object, the Moon, it doesn't really fit in that piece of paper because it's tilted. It's not exactly in that same plane. It's tilted by a couple of degrees. And that means that there are times of year, eclipse seasons, when the shadow, here's the Moon, it's still casting a shadow. It always does. But even though it's new Moon, it's as close to the Sun as it's going to possibly get, that shadow goes up above the Earth. It doesn't strike the Earth we're not going to be able to see a shadow. We're not going to get an eclipse. Same time, if a full moon were occurring at this same time, there's the Earth's shadow. Again, it's always there. But the full moon might pass below that and we get no eclipse. So if the, if the full or new moon are occurring at this time of year, we're not going to be able to get an eclipse at all. So they're going to occur. Now a few months later, about a halfway, about about a quarter of the way around the Sun. Now we're on the edge here. Tilt is still the same. But now you have everything lined up. The Sun, the Moon, and the Earth are all lined up. And if the full Moon occurs then, a nice lunar eclipse. If the new Moon occurs then, a nice solar eclipse. So there are about two times during the year when we can get eclipses. So right here, right around here, about six months apart. And they vary slightly. That changes, so that timing actually changes during, through, the, through the year as we, as we go. So this year, next year, there'll be a little bit different time. The following year, there'll be a little bit different. But they're about six months apart. And they're relatively narrow. They're about a month long. So you usually will get at least a lunar eclipse and a solar eclipse each year. Now, some of them might not be great ones. There are nice you know, solar eclipses that are only invisible if you're down in Antarctica. Doesn't do most of us much good, you know, unless you got the money to travel to Antarctica to go see it. Or they may only occur, you know, very briefly, might be just a very, very, very slight eclipse. But the reasoning is what's important here. That's just because everything is tilted. The Earth Moon's orbit is tilted relative to the Sun's. All right. So here's the tracks I said. Here's the one August 21st of 2017. Now I know the date for sure, and it was April 8th. It comes up through, looks like Washington, Oregon area, comes down about through St. Louis and then comes out through, looks like Carolina's up there by this map, depending on how accurate this map is, is drawn. Um, so anywhere in this red path would be where you could see a total eclipse. If you're in a big range around it, you know, up to here, down to here, you'll be able to see at least a partial eclipse. So pretty much the entire U.S. will be able to see this eclipse at least as a partial wherever you are. If you're up in, the, up in Alaska, maybe not. Other than that, every place else in the continental U.S. is going to be able to see this eclipse. So still got a few years. So 2017, four years from now, right about the beginning of class. 
I'm guessing. If they still start at the same, unless they start by the beginning of August then where these classes keep getting earlier and earlier, um, we'll be able to have a nice, at least partial eclipse visible from this location. You know, we're up in, up in there someplace. So not too far away, but far enough, far enough away. 2024 is the another big one. That comes even closer to us. That goes right up over Lake Erie and Lake Ontario. So right over northern Pennsylvania, New York, southern Ontario in there. So even a little bit closer. So if you're going to be in the area around those, you know, that's a good chance. Those are the two good chances coming up in the next 20 years or so to really see, be able to see a total solar eclipse. Those are the two cases. If you're traveling more, you could go see one, you know, there's one in 2016. Uh, what else do we have? Kind of 2016, so there's a, one a year earlier. There's a couple others scattered around. Um, November of this year, uh, we just miss it. <laughs> Very edge, starts just off the coast of the U.S. Nice, out in the middle of the Atlantic. So take a cruise ship in November. Just don't miss class. <laughs> Yeah, now if you take a field trip, right, you'll get hacked to pay for a field trip to a cruise to the middle of the Atlantic to see a total solar eclipse. And then see what happens to your tuition, right? <laughs> so, either that or you can go down to Central Africa. So, there. Yeah, right in, the, right in the middle of the, what is it, the Congo there? Yeah. Yeah. So, those, those are your choices for the one coming up this year. All right, so let me, I'm going to go ahead and stop with the eclipses there. And I'll see if there are questions. Otherwise, I'll go ahead and give you a break for what are we running about? It's almost 10. How long a total one? It can last anywhere between a couple minutes and about, thinking about eight or nine minutes. They're, they're short. A lunar eclipse is about an hour, could last about an hour and a half because the shadow is much thicker. But a solar eclipse will only last a, n a number of minutes. They're never going to be that be that long. So if you want to take a break and stretch, I'll go ahead and get the. Let's see, I don't need computers booted up for our labs, so we'll get that stuff started in a few minutes here.